32 counties. 32 questions. My name's Una. I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. But for the next four weeks, although there will be plenty of counties involved, we're going to be bringing you United Ireland's unique, patented, completely untried and untested general <laughs> election coverage. If you want to hear party leaders shouting at each other or political pundits hypothesising about fantasy coalitions that don't exist, then you're probably better off not listening to us. There's plenty of that elsewhere. Traditional media coverage in general elections, um, you know, it generally focuses on the big personalities, the Leo versus Hall binary like uh, there was coverage Leo phoned Hall. that was a whole article well I mean I suppose the good thing about the general election being called is that we no longer have to read nine articles a day about when, <laughs> when the date is um, but it kind of focuses on that and then you know the, some of the party manifestos and how they differ even though they rarely do the media performances of various politicians on RTE uh, radio and television the little controversies that general election campaigns throw up, the fights, the spats, the screw ups, the storms and teacups, and often the issues and the bigger ideas, if they exist in Irish politics, get sidelined. Talking about this election is a weird one. You know, myself and Andrea were having coffee this morning and she just said, what did you say? <laughs> oh, no, I don't care about this election. It just seems kind of futile. And I think that that is a sentiment that a lot of people feel. Um, and it's not that I just want to ca- caveat that yeah. with the fact that it's not the general election. It's just I hate all the f- like pontificating about we're going to do this. Can we judge what people have done over the last four years rather than just over the next four weeks? Well, it's so lucky that you co-present a podcast that is offering an alternative <laughs> type of general election coverage. It does feel like a moment of stasis. It also feels like a potential moment of change. But I think that that uh, idea of change or desire for change is um, stymied a little bit by the fact that there doesn't seem to be a broader identifiable alternative to what we already have, this kind of very centre, centre-right type of political or establishment. there is an alternative, but there's not enough in a group of alternatives. Yes. So like for, for me, a lot of the time it's like, yeah, I like what that person is saying, but will they be able to bring about that change when you look at like all the deals that are going in the background and all that shit? Absolutely. Why is politics so political? You know, it's a, que- <laughs> it's a question you've asked for a long time and I still don't have the answer. There does seem to be a general lack of enthusiasm and across the board of the electorate, uh, you know, and, and it kind of, for me, reflects a little... Um, reflects a lot actually of what the government the last four years has been about. In many ways, um, the kind of confidence and supply arrangement where you have Fine Gael propped up by Fianna Fáil um, and now you have them splitting into campaign mode and all of a sudden, you know, Micheál Martin <laughs> is pointing out all of the terrible things Fine Gael did with, you know, even though um, his party was propping them up. There's also this thing of Fine Gael have kind of board everyone into submission really um, and that perhaps the extraction of inspiration or an idea of change is very purposeful. We've had four years of a government that has been uh, a kind of a nebulous thing where people aren't really held to account where even though massive mistakes are made um, where there is uh, you know there are various fuck ups like stuff like the children's hospital or um, the cervical cancer controversy or 
obviously the ongoing housing crisis and nothing office wing. <laughs> there was that, and nothing has seemed to have really changed dramatically. Big ideas have been lacking, and it does feel as though. Obviously, it suits the status quo for things to just continue. So any idea of a massive political change will be muted during this election because obviously Fine Gael uh, want to be back in power. But over the next four weeks, we are going to try to do the opposite uh, to what regular media does. How are we going to do that? So we're going to take a few uh, different approaches. One of the things that we're going to do is that we're going to look at the big ideas politicians may or may not have. We know that uh, all Irish politics is local. We know that it can be very parochial. But who are the people out there who have a vision for Ireland beyond just wanting to be in government? Vincent Brown always says that the uh, issue with Irish politics is the lack of politics. Um, So what are those big philosophical ideas, the fundamentals, the ideas uh, that people have for the future of this country and not just in a slogan? Um, Already in the in the kind of mainstream analysis, I suppose, of what issues really matter to people, one of the media narratives um, that is kind of being fed by Fine Gael is that this election is all about Brexit, that it's implicitly implicitly tied to Brexit. Of course, Brexit Day, the 31st of January, will fall during campaign time. And that it's also about Ireland's economic turnaround, uh, which is for some, obviously not for all, But I really wonder, is that the case? Is that what voters on the ground are thinking about? Are they thinking about macroeconomics and Brexit? We think the sentiment on the ground is different. So instead, we're going to look at, as as well as this big ideas piece that we're going to look at, we're also going to look at five broad themes that we feel matter to people coming into this election. Um, Andrea, what are those themes? You know, number... uh, Number... My bilingual life has not gotten better. <laughs> Number one, the mental health impact of the rental crisis, which incorporates housing, homelessness, the rising rents around the country, etc. Number two is quality of life, including commuting, childcare, health service, the cost of living. Number three, uh, planning a capital city, which is obviously a Dublin problem. But does anyone actually have a vision? Is there something out there that we can uh relate to that somebody knows what's coming down the line and is planning something that's worth living in. Number four, the climate, the biodiversity emergency, environment, agriculture, emissions, a green Ireland. We don't want our country to go up in flames. Number five, community and solidarity. How can we coexist, work together, extend empathy to those less well off or more vulnerable or marginalised? So those are the issues that we're going to be focusing on. It's a little different between uh, or it's a little different to the kind of constituency battles and uh, personalities being pitched against each other. But we do think that it's um, a healthier way to look at general election uh, campaigning. The other thing that we're going to look at is this idea that comes around every time. I know a lot of you listening will feel this, that there's nobody to vote for, that politicians are all the same. They're all doses. um, They're all suits that are interchangeable. They're not relatable, all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, is a very real thing. But what about the people who are actually decent and want to affect change? What about the politicians that would inspire other people to get into politics? What about the people who are going into politics who don't even see themselves as politicians? We're going to trawl the country for inspiring candidates, people who don't fit the mould of traditional politicians and have something more to offer than the usual. 
And finally, we're going to talk to voters who we feel encapsulate the type of voter profiles that politicians talk about, but that tend to be generalised based on demographics. We know that's not the case. What do people of different kind of profiles around Dublin in particular feel about this election? What are their desires? What do they actually want from politicians and who are they going to vote for? So for the next month in the run up to uh, February 8th, a very rare Saturday general election vote. That's what we're going to be doing. The week that was... I will be honest, I have really turned off from the world since before Christmas. This is a January <laughs> issue as well, I feel. It's hard have to come back well? into the world. Yeah, kind of. First of all, I can't believe that it's already the middle of January. This is a weird thing that this month does. Especially because the way that Christmas break fell, it, land, it felt like we were on Christmas holidays for seven weeks. And I'm kind of in a position where I don't even know how to approach my year. <laughs> I'm just wandering around the house, picking up things, putting them down, making lists. Um, so that's where I'm at. But things did happen this week. Um, the Oscar nominations uh, were revealed. Overall, I found it a very dull, boring and uninspiring list. Uh, Saoirse is in there, which is good. But we will have more on the exclusion (laughs) of a certain person from the nominees. The absolute fucking neck of them. We're not ready to talk about it right now, such as the rage and upset, but we will come to it later in the show. Um, Do you know what I found very uh, disheartening from the Oscar coverage? Tell me. The amount of women coming out and going, maybe there wasn't uh, women directors nominated because they're just not good enough. Maybe you're a foot soldier of the patriarchy. It was just so, that would be like, my I response. Just saw, I just thought so many times I was like, that you, yeah, that's well, this such, is total it's such bu- a played out old, what's that thing called? Piece of bullshit? Piece of bullshit. <laughs> we'll go with that. I think it's interesting it's that so that annoying. Would, been, would have been said when there were actually some, for example, amazing female directors making amazing films, mm. um, all of whom weren't nominated in the director category. For example, obviously Little Women got nominated here and there, um, but Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated. And like Little Women... Queen and Slim. Um, yes, with Little Women, generally not the kind of film that I like, but I thought as a piece of filmmaking, it was really fantastic. Um, obviously, uh, the director of Hustlers was a woman. We're going to come to that later. Uh, the Farewell, probably one of my favourite films from last year. Somebody, also no director nomination. And one more that I'm thinking of, Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, also a female director. She didn't get nominated. So even when women are actually yeah. making films, they're still being excluded. But somebody put up a very interesting thing. Uh, it was actually Elizabeth Patton. She put up a tweet and she's like, maybe it's time that we separate best director into male and female. And obviously that's not where we want to be because it it differentiates men and women and their craft because female directors just want to be directors. But maybe if there was a female director uh, segment that would give more visibility to female directors and get more people maybe wanting to be a, a director as a female and then just more visibility. Essentially. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think that because that's kind of what happened with uh, best actor. It was yeah. divided into male and female and then it uh, it got us more visibility. Um, a really sad and scary story um, that happened this week is that a homeless man at the time of recording remains in a serious condition in hospital um, after a council industrial vehicle which was cleaning along the Grand Canal in Dublin on Tuesday afternoon uh, lifted 
a tent in which a man who uh, happens to be homeless was sleeping. Um, it was try- the vehicle was trying to remove the uh, tent in an attempt to tidy the canal walkway, and the man was injured during this incident. Um, you know, when you hear these stories, and also the one um, I think last week about the uh, very elderly woman um, homeless, uh, she was picked up kind of at the at the GPO. Um, and there were attempts to accommodate her. She had just been discharged from hospital. Um, when you hear about these really extreme stories, it very much questions um, the broader narrative about everybody's doing great and the recovery and the booming economy and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there does seem to be this divide uh, in Irish society about uh, people who are totally sorted and at the lower and very extreme dramatic stories about poverty and destitution. But it, I think it also throws up um, a mirror onto Owen Murphy who came out this week and was like there's always going to be homelessness and he kind of is almost brushing it off as like we have to accept that this is a fact of life whereas when you have what's happening in Finland where there is absolutely no rough sleepers and everyone has a home and they've come up with a solution that there is solutions and that we are just deciding that we're not going to work on getting to a solution Mm. based place we're just going to accept that this is part of our society Well it's really easy to say that there's always going to be people in dire conditions when you are never going to be impacted by that and you are never going to be one of those people Mm. and that's the essential issue I suppose with Fine Gael. I wrote a piece the other week for the Times about how um, this election you know if we're going to you kind of you can impose loads of narratives over an election but one of the ones I was imposing <laughs> was about what, about the fact that this election is going to be fought along the lines of privilege and along the lines of haves and have nots and we'll see whether people who are kind of I'm alright Jack and all that kind of stuff will actually um, vote for themselves to maintain what they have, to maintain their lot, or will look at these things that are happening all across our society and say that's not good enough and that we need to vote for politicians and parties and ideas that are about our society as a whole, as opposed to the people on the top end of it economically. Um, To Presso Martini, I think they're going to vote for themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be a test. Like, it's also a test about if we had, you know, two referendums where people you know, the majority of people voted on an issue that didn't necessarily directly affect them, Mm. but actually voted to extend empathy to people that it did affect. Will that sentiment, will that electoral sentiment of empathy and of solidarity extend to a general election context? I suppose so. With those things, you're not taking away anything from somebody else by voting. So if you're voting for something that doesn't affect you, grand you can vote with empathy whereas if you're voting for something that may affect you and you may lose out what you perceive as losing out for other people to gain then that's going to maybe call into a different uh, question. That's a really good point. Um, Something else that has been dominating headlines is Megxit. Uh, Harry and Meghan like many people uh, coming out of Christmas with loads of family drama decided that they're out. Uh, there you go. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how so many articles are written, but do you know? I, I wrote one. I wrote one. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I think that's most telling about the whole 
uh, Megxit is the different treatment of Kate and Meghan mm. um, by the it's mainly the Daily Mail but the Telegraph etc um, and the exact same stories put side by side and why look how Kate tenderly holds her bump and why is Meghan showing off her bump is a vanity and it, you're just like it's exactly the same story and written in two different tones and it's just bananas yeah it's just racist basically um, yeah <laughs> um, Piers so Morgan as well I, I hate talking about Piers him Morgan. sorry I know but he is Forever. literally an absolute <laughs> dose of of the highest degree. He's the worst. He's literally just like the king troll at the moment. He's a child. He's a dose. Um, you're very excited about something <laughs> green that happened this week. <laughs> this morning, Aer Lingus unveiled their new uniforms designed by Louise Kennedy. Um, and it's she designed them before in 1992 might check my facts might have been 82 a while ago um, but yeah women can now wear trousers which is huge and they're relaxing their hair and makeup reels because Ireland has moved on so Aer Lingus has moved on and tell me are they the classic Aer Lingus green or have they done something ridiculous and changed it no it's, it kind of looks very similar good because <laughs> I hate when they kind of update things like that they could, they did update their um, livery what is it called again? Library. Oh yeah, uh, last year and it just kind of a darker bit of green. I was just not in fa- favour that it has to be Irish grass green. I'm. Fa- I feel <laughs> why nice. is that funny? I why agree. Why is that funny, Andrew? What the fuck? Go on, Ireland. I give a shit. What color I is. give a shit. Why? I g- because I want to get. It's our national identity. <laughs> <laughs> That's who fly us where we need to go. Andrew is racist against <laughs> Irish people. Uh, finally revealed. Well, I just I love the Aer Lingus green. I love Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus stuff. is my favorite airline. Me too. Um, well, you know, you're saying me too now that you love Aer Lingus. You didn't love Aer Lingus 20 seconds ago, did you? Just don't give a shit about green. Well, I give a shit about green. My mum used to work for Aer Lingus, actually, oh. in the 60s on the in their ticketing office on O'Connell Street. I think they And she are, once sold a ticket to Muhammad Ali. I think what the strength of Aer Lingus is, is their HR. They have so many Sanders working for them who actually, maybe they don't really, they care, do you know, that way. They're mm. really nice and, they're, and they look after you. And it's like getting an Irish hug the minute you step on a plane when you're coming home. And I love that feeling. Yeah, or if you've been travelling for ages, like if you've been on a real long haul vibe from somewhere and... Um, then your last leg is like an Aer Lingus yeah. flight oh. and you get on and there's someone called Dim- Bernie Bernie or Dimpna or Eva. you sit down there now we'll mind you oh thanks Bernie yeah. love you love love um, maybe having heard that Aer Lingus how would you like to sponsor the podcast now? Um, okay uh, next up Stormont's back woo in a weird low key way although it got a lot of coverage but it's just kind of happened three years later trickle true everyone's back that'll be a big that's, win I think it's a uh, kind Finnegal. of a better way for them to do that mm. just get back into business let's not make a song and dance get the people of Northern Ireland feeling like they've got control again and that was the week that was <laughs> now to start us off on our election campaign journey, we're delighted to have one of the quiet heroes of Irish political coverage and archiving to give us some historical context on the semantics of election messaging and the philosophies underpinning the tone 
and ideas within general election campaigns. Alan Kinsler is known by many for the website Irish Election Literature, which for over a decade now um, has hosted his vast collection of Irish election referendum and other political campaigning material. It's an excellent resource and document of um, Irish political campaigning life and, in fact, of Irish society, I suppose, viewed through the lens of posters and pamphlets and all the rest. Alan is at Election Lit on Twitter, where he posts regular updates related to this pursuit, including one this morning about why there aren't uh, glow-in-the-dark Uh, posters or luminous (laughs) posters. I was like, don't give them ideas. Um, And it's times like these where his um, expertise and historical knowledge and context comes into its own. Alan, welcome. Thanks, Una. Before we dig into the meaning of this election, we're going to get very, uh, you know, weirdly kind of big idea about it. Um, And the themes underscoring some of those slogans. How did you come to be the main man when it comes to collecting all of this? Nobody else was doing it. Um... Like I started in 1982, and didn't kind of it was kind of something I'd you wouldn't keep those things for me. Um, it was not not necessarily ashamed of, but it wouldn't have been shouting from the rooftops because it was such an odd hobby and really unusual. But over time, you know, family, friends, and even I was in school at the time, so classmates, and then in college, and work or whatever people and wider afield, I know kind of people all over the place that send me stuff. That time coincides with a very fractured uh, moment in Irish electoral politics. Yeah, you would have had the three elections very, very quickly. Um, There would have been the hunger strikes, um, Charlie v. Garrett, um, the whole, you know, it was really, everyone was interested in politics at that time. Um, Well, mostly everyone. How much stuff do you have in your gaff? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Where where do you keep it? Um, In an office and in an attic. Um, about possibly 50,000 leaflets and a couple of hundred posters um, from not just from Ireland but from all over the world Do you ever build forts out of the posters? No I wouldn't uh, (laughs) actually what I do I'd use them for um, displays actually I have a couple of uh, posters that I um, help take down for a candidate at the end of last <laughs> officially it was official and I still have them in my garage but I'd, I'd um, use them for displaying leaflets right. or, or paper posters um, using um, at exhibitions and things and before we dig into the, the 2020 moment um, what is your most prized election ephemera possession this one on Janie um, I think uh, probably um Oh, it could be there's loads but certainly from a social point of view some of the um, there's a collection of four posters done by Robert Bala for the 1983 abortion referendum wow. um, they're beautiful um, something like Alice Glenn's um, a turkey a woman voting for divorce it's like a turkey voting for Christmas mm. things that tell the um, the change in Irish society um, like that um, they're pretty special and also um, there would be other things that I know I might have the only copy still in existence because um, like I do exhibits and stuff at the party or dashes and because it's a job people throw out stuff Mm. Um, if you have loads of leaflets and so on you're not going to keep them um, because it's your job and there's another election and another election and another election. It's very often people end up, they've loads of photographs of them of their political career, but they may not have any leaflets. 
And so you'd be approached by people or indeed after somebody passes on. You don't have anything. I mean, fathers or mothers by any chance. And mm. I, if I have it, I'll send it on to them. But it's just something that because it's part of the job and it keeps on going, people often don't keep. Yeah. And it's it's that kind of thing. Like it's mo- kind of like um, protest material. You know, it goes out of date the minute the campaign is over, really. Yeah. But that's like actually have a lot of protest material. Mm. Um, I work in town and would hop into if there's something on at lunch, like I'm, I'll go back to work now and I'll go via the farmers and see if they've, <laughs> they've anything. But no, it, again, that tells a story. Like, for instance, if you looked at what was what were the issues for protests 10 years ago, as opposed to today, 10 years ago, it was the IMF, it was uh, austerity and so on. Mm. Um, and the world, other issues actually like bog cutting and <laughs> things like that. But there was where now it's um, housing. Um, farmers, mm. whatever, they're different, different issues. Let's talk about them. We're going to get into the slogans in a second, but um, I suppose like a vote is always about the vote, but it's also always about something else. Um, when you're looking at the type of material that is, has been kind of floating around over the last couple of months, I got a thing in the door the other day. Um, I'm in Pascal Dunhu's constituency and it was, you know, the end of term report and actually kind of unfortunate because Pascal kind of looks like a schoolboy in the front of it. It's like, is this your actual school report? But, it, uh, you know, and just kind of going forensically through all of the stuff that's been happening in the constituency that he's kind of attaching himself to. So that's very much, you know, a, almost a bulky piece of campaign material but when it comes to the early campaign messaging from various parties um, what does that tell us about what they think this election is about in your opinion? Well they want to set the agenda um, for instance Fine Gael are going big on Brexit um, the economy obviously and that in the you know we haven't finished what we're doing we've still a lot to do but we're getting there um, and that's what they're kind of slogan is about but it's uh, it's not um, there's no no big idea or anything there it's just uh, it's just trying to set the agenda to be what the issues that they're strong on and it also stuff that their strong people are on like for instance Simon Coveney or Pascal Dunhu or whatever that they're you know they're, they're star performers so this is about their slogans, kind of about playing to their strengths. Of course it is. A of future course, yeah. to look forward but, but to. E, but even actually what was interesting, just walking in there, I, I noticed um, the generic Vote Fianna Gael poster and it's just Vote Fianna Gael with a picture of Leo. There's no slogan. And mm. um, they've learned the lesson from 2016 of keep the recovery going. Mm. So when you when we look at their particular slogan, we'll take that now for a second and look at the meaning behind that. A future to look forward to, very annoyingly for me, uh, look forward are capitalised in the middle of a sentence, which I just can't cope with at all. Um, but what is, um, like, are there any historical echoes of that message, you know? Well, actually, um, Leo's um, campaign material for the Fine Gael leadership, his slogan was courage to take us forward. So we, you know, the forward message was there already. Um, forward was used by Obama in 2012. Um, in February 82, Fine Gael would have used uh, working for a better future. And uh, Fianna Fáil would have used for your future. Uh, 87, I think it was, it was the way forward for Fianna Fáil. So there's loads of uh, make the future work. Mm. Um, Democratic left in 97. 
that there's a load of different um, examples of forward and future being used. And indeed, forward would be um, a word often associated with the various uh, elements in the far left as well. Uh, forward for workers' rights, forward for a lot of, for instance, um, Marxist-Leninist and Spartacus and mm. Spartacus material forward with the vanguard or whatever. Um, but it's, it's... That's hardly what Fine Gael are going for here. <laughs> no, but that's, that's where it's That's used. where it's coming from. Do you think it's a good slogan? It's all right. Yeah. Um, it's not... I think they were looking for something as harmless as possible and that couldn't be um, mocked um, or c- couldn't backfire. And it's not really. It's uh, Do you think slogans make a difference? Yeah. In what sense? But for instance, the classic would be the here in 2002, the a lot done, more to do. And that was actually copied by parties all over Europe and all over the world. But it just signals... Um, we've done a lot and we, we're not there yet mm. um, and we acknowledge that we're not there yet which is very important mm. as well with the voter and that you're not just um, saying we're brilliant we've everything done we have a lot more you know we have more to. It's, it's self-explanatory but it really really said a lot in so simply Yeah it's kind of deferential as well I suppose to the voter as well as yes, trying to exactly. own um, trying to own something going forward and also asking people to not cut them off right now when there's all this there's, there's stuff still on the desk. Yeah, you're trying to take the people with you. Mm. It's, um, Let's look at Fianna Fáil's one and Ireland for All which very much points towards kind of an equality agenda. A um, little bit of a pivot for them, maybe. Uh, it's the same slogan as 2016. Oh, OK. Um, that's... Um, and I suppose it's just trying to show uh, we're not just the party of uh, people who get up at eight in the morning or whatever. Mm. Uh, Leo says Fine Gael is, but we're we're a wider a wider party and have wider people's or people's wider agenda in in interest in that um, at heart. Do you think that'll be effective? It sounds it's quite a labour-y slogan in a way. It is, but um, they're trying to point. They're, they're tr- very much trying to differentiate themselves from Fine Gael, mm. um, despite having propped them up um, for a few years. We don't know Labour's slogan yet. I don't think I was looking at a um, an election leaflet of Alan Kelly's, which just says "delivers more for tip," which I don't think will be Labour's. No, slogan. Uh, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might be delivered more. But no, I don't think. Uh, um, I haven't seen their. I haven't seen their. Uh, they only so. announced their director of campaigns. Yeah, Ivana. Yes, yeah. Um, I one of the things that we're kind of probably since around maybe the twenty eleven election, I guess, was really or before actually when Blue State Digital came over to do some consultancy with Fianna Fáil, which was kind of a bizarre moment. Talking about the campaigning and sloganeering in the digital space, which is still. But I mean, generally, politicians here still kind of ignore the internet. Um, I think part of that is to do with echo chambers, and that, for instance, in Twitter or whatever. Like, uh, like I'd, obviously, I'd follow um, various political people, but most people wouldn't, mm. or they would only follow their party. Or so you're not really. Um, 
amplifying your message unless you're paying for paid advertising but you're not really you know amplifying your message Facebook obviously is more effective and that was used a lot in 2016 mm-hmm. a lot of targeting um, especially by Fine Gael um, a lot of a lot of targeting there that was the, the other thing um, with that um, in that where um, I'm in Dublin South West so there's three Fianna Fáil candidates, two Fianna Gael candidates and I don't know what way the constituency is divided, whether it is or not but in, say for instance, Kerry or Tipperary, where you'd have a far larger constituency and it would be divided between candidates but there's no way of, say, targeting Nina and just its surrounds, or you know targeting the area you're assigned to so it's you end up probably wasting money going outside where you're, you're meant to be or whatever. Right. It's... Um, do you think, um, like, over the last, you know, let's say five years, um, slogans and messages in the political space have been very much around referendums, around issues of social justice, quality and so yeah. on. And voters, I think, are much savvier these days when it comes to sloganeering, even when we look at, you know, the Women's March um, movement in the States and, you know, all of the pithy kind of puns and stuff and placards and all that kind of stuff. What impact do you think um, do those grassroots movements and people's ability to actually make their own slogans and write their own signs have on on the messaging that we're seeing now in general election uh, campaigns, which kind of feels a little bit maybe old fashioned or anodyne compared to the messaging that people have been doing themselves in these kind of protest movements? So, well, probably the Greens are most, like the most, the biggest crowds, the biggest uh, creativity have been at both the housing and also the climate, climate marches. Mm. Like, uh, there's been, I ended up with a load of cardboard, <laughs> pieces of cardboard with things written on them at home that from various different that people just give me. Mm. Um, but they're really effective, and they're um, because when you're going out there, yeah. Um, you're trying to rather than just we've no planet B you know there's a load of people people try all sorts of creative things and they're a lot more creative and sometimes shocking or whatever where you can't be you can be creative but you can't you're, you're trying not to if you're um, running for an election you're on purpose, you're trying not to alienate people so you can't go to um, unless you're the radical left or radical right or whatever, you're you're you can't uh, try and alienate too many people. And also, with our voting system, it mightn't be the number one you're looking for. It could be the number ten or whatever. Um, so you're trying to not offend as many voters as possible. Mm. And when you're looking through stuff over the next four weeks, um, what are you looking for that that stands out in terms of election literature? What really speaks to you or that you think is worth kind of preserving or archiving? Well, um, well everything, but there's, there will be, slow, first of all, there'll be odd candidates. Um, there'll be some mad independents, like uh, I think it was, I think it was fellow William DJ Gorman around the last time in Dublin South East and Dublin Central and he had a 12 page thing and he he was talking about all the people he'd slept with and he was a porn star and everything and it was just <laughs> Did you see your man with the dog and the sideways <laughs> Irish flag? Yeah. No, what? <laughs> I can't remember who it was. So uh, Niall, um, whose name, surname escapes me, he's one of the Patriots. Right, okay. Uh, 
but even even actually, sorry, this is an aside. But dogs, um, like I noticed uh, in 2014, there was a lad fella called Dan McCarthy running in uh, Kerry, and he had two dogs, two sheep dogs in uh, his uh, leaflet. And then in 2019, he'd only the one. Oh no! <laughs> so, uh, but you know, there's there's uh, there's things things like that you can pick up on. <laughs> What, what elements of general election media coverage do you think need to die and what should we talk more about? Um, oh, look, I, I, for a few minutes I tu- turned on uh, Claire Byrne or whatever it is last night and was just shouting. And possibly more um, more actual individual grilling of people by a presenter as opposed to just debates. Like the debate... In a way, like when I was growing up, you would have only had two, you know, it was Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and it was maybe suitable for that. But when you've more people at the table and everybody trying to get um, uh, their spake in, you end up just people shouting over each other. But very often, um, and especially you, you hear it mostly on podcasts and things, slow, methodical interviews with people where they can trip themselves up, they can... Um, 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 you know, and do not do themselves favours or come out well from them. But you know, y- you get more in depth thing with the parties if it's m- if it's less shouty. And I also think it's off putting. Mm. Um, like even I turned it off last night. Um, the People o- are just looking for the mic drop moment as opposed to actually saying what they think. Yeah, and it's no. Um, and I think it's a turn off. Mm. And I actually think the more it goes on, the, it's a turn off for people, especially younger voters who rarely watch television or terrestrial television, that they'll tune in and they'll see it and they go, oh my God. Mm. And they'll end up voting for, won't you know, they won't be voting for anyone up there shouting. Um, the other thing is uh, the promotion of extreme candidates uh, just for the, the shock value. Um, and then, you know, six months later, wonder why there's a a uh, far right movement or something, and the media having a- amplified them out of uh, their actual support. Um, it's that's one that's one thing that that uh, it's very annoying. Now, not necessarily in this one, but in, um, in referendums and stuff, the balance thing it just drives me mad. Um, that yeah, you know, you could have something, and then you've somebody on for on opposing it for the sake of having somebody on opposing it mm. where they're totally unrepresentative of people. Yeah, and all the false equivalents and all that kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, I do think that this, um, the media coverage of this general election might be a test in terms of what you're talking about around uh, not necessarily just extreme candidates, but candidates with extreme messages who are presenting as, you know, totally normal <laughs> candidates. Well, Verona Murphy's after getting so much coverage already mm. based on just the fact that she's who she is yeah having come and what she's done and kind of the comments she made and the people she but, but but that would you know in itself all somebody has to come up with um, is shout say something racist or something anti next of all they'll be on news talk or Niall Boyle or whatever in a flash yeah so this is a real test of that um, and how vulnerable actually the media is to being manipulated in that way yeah um, before uh, we let you go, thank you so much for this chat because it's really good to get the kind of the context of it in terms of the the messaging. Um, when you think, well, we're going to be talking over the next four weeks uh, away from the horse race and more broadly about the big ideas. Do you think um, when you look at the slogans that have already come out, the stances people um, or the various parties are taking, 
Um, you mentioned earlier the big ideas. That's something that we're very keen on discussing. Um, do you think that politicians don't talk about big ideas because they don't feel people want to hear them, that they want to hear something that's much more um, local or personalised? I think some politicians have big ideas. Um, I think, and actually, um, it w- depending on what way the government um, formation runs. Now, for instance, the, the, say for instance, the Greens get a, a rack of seats. They can't go into government and be supine uh, to a larger party. They have, you know, the, there's no halfway house, and they'll have to. Um, come out and explain we're going to need the way the change we've uh, changed the way we with farming and, and other various different things we're going to have and not wishy-washy things like wolves or whatever but tot- a total change and but they'll have to explain it they'll have to explain it to people otherwise there'll be a backlash and it'll be very hard for another party to especially if you've um, a rural base to uh to deliver it to their voters, but something like that needs to be done. So other things like um, housing. Everyone say build more houses, build more houses, and yes, but you look at the same people who are saying build more houses. Their latest newsletter will be I objected to this, I objected to that, um, and so on. There has to be consistency, criticism, and. Yeah, I, I want to build more houses, but not not there, not here, not there. And it, there has to be a proper uh, discussion about housing, about planning, um, about what actually we want. What what do we want from social housing? What do we want from um, things like that? Just a wider, broader, more in-depth, rather than just a simple slogan, uh, build public housing on public land. And... You know, just wider, wider coverage, more in-depth coverage of issues, mm. and there are there are um, certain TDs that have, for instance, actually John Burton has done great stuff on adop- adoption. For instance, I'm adopted, so she's done great stuff on adoption, and th- that their own little pet projects that they, they that they do and that affect actually affect a lot of people. But um, there's, there are wide, we need more in-depth discussion of certain issues mm. and solutions and possibly consensus. Because, like that poor lad down at the canal today, or last night, if there was a consensus between um, politics, between politicians, as how we should go forward in society about this issue, we'd get a lot further. Mm. And finally, do you think um, general election campaigning shows that uh, politicians and the parties are tapped into the electorate or that they underestimate them? Some are, some aren't. Um, I, th- I think one of the um, one of the things about being in government very often is that you've um, you become a, like it happened for the fall, and that they they went into a bubble, and to a degree lost the concerns of the normal person, and just and it ended up that and that they were looking after interests other than the normal person. And when they thought they were looking after, I think you can get into a bit of a bubble in Leinster House with um, advisors. But it, and it doesn't matter whether it's Leinster House, but with your own circle around you. Um, parties aren't what they used to be either. 
Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, so, for instance, I'm campaigning to, for election for a party. Generally, there'll be a few party people, but it'll mostly be my group. I'll get my friends, my family um, in supporting me um, and campaigning with me. So it's already people you know, a wider, a wider, um, slightly, maybe there will be people you wouldn't know. But the party, whereas 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the parties were a lot stronger on the ground. So the but machine was more part of a campaign as opposed to people's yeah. like local or immediate support group. Yeah, and, and you tend to, people tend to listen to their own circles. I, th- I think people are a lot more, um, you may not listen to this, your friend, you tend to think a lot, a lot the same as your friends or whatever, and it's the same within a political party um, that you have. You, you all kind of think roughly the same, and the membership kind of do as well. Hmm. Um, well, we're looking forward to bursting uh, that bubble over the next four weeks. Good. And um, thanks so much for setting us up with that context, Alan. You can follow um, Alan on at Election Lit on Twitter. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting week. A uh, few weeks, material wise, and I hope there's loads of bonkers stuff that you can collect. <laughs> yes, to be quite is. honest. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. So, what can you do? First up, research the candidates in your constituency. Who's running, and what are they running on? There's usually that amazing website that tells you all the issues that are relevant um, that comes out around election time of who's running what they stand for and where and they do a question and Dublin Inquirer usually do a great questionnaire so we'll keep an eye on that as well Yep Um, This was a great idea of Andrea's which I'm definitely going to do this time around just to clarify um, some things for myself What is it Andrea? Sit down and write out your questions for each of the different personalities so like I know in my constituency I've got uh, Owen and I've got a few others that I would have different questions Owen for. Murphy he's like, you're on <laughs> first name terms now just Owen uh, but I because usually when they come to the door I've got like the three things that I care about the most but there's also the questions that I wouldn't probably have thought about if I didn't sit down for that particular person so I think it's good to give some time to think about what you'd ask if they came a knocking I actually have had canvases already on the day the election was called um, that evening I had a canvasser to the door for Joe Costello uh, so obviously Labour right already so uh, that that's the first I, like I felt like you know doing one of those letters to the Irish Times is, I think is this a record? I think people have been canvassing already in the regional areas mm. knowing there's an uh, a, election on the way so they've been putting in the work already but I think sitting down and writing out your questions for people is a really good exercise yeah I agree um, what else can you do so this is a kind of a bigger step, I suppose, over the next four weeks. But if there is a candidate that you feel is brilliant, that aligns with your values, that you feel you can get behind, you know, maybe think about getting involved in their campaign or canvassing on their behalf. Uh, obviously, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have uh, had canvassed over the last few years, have protested, um, have been out knocking on doors for things that they believe in. So maybe have a think about if there is somebody passionate or that you feel passionate about uh, that deserves or has earned your time. Um, You know, we're constantly complaining about good people not being in politics and all that kind of stuff. So if somebody is really 
you know good out there and you have some you know a couple of spare evenings on your hand on on your hands maybe think about canvassing for them and giving them your support and then we won't have loads of saps uh, if you want to, if you basically. want to change be the change thank you Gandhi <laughs> um, talk another, to your family and friends is an obvious one but like uh, talk about the issues and who they're voting for because a lot of the time people just vote for who they've always voted for and maybe if you can shine a light in the darkness of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, you could see the change that you want to see happening and like I've seen so much on Twitter and social media everyone just being like Fine Gael out get them out um, but it's the people who always vote for them who will continue to vote for them unless you have those conversations and get out of your echo chamber and talk about talk to people who you disagree with and uh, another thing you can do is plan voting day now. It is a Saturday. It's February 8th. Make sure you're registered to vote. Now, obviously, there was um, some stuff around the electoral register not being uh, fully kind of functioning or whatever. If people registered to vote before November 1st, it won't be ready to go until February 15th. So if you are a first time voter or first time registered or you change your constituency, make sure you are on the supplementary register. You can check all this out uh, by going on checktheregister.ie. You can still add your name to the supplementary register uh, until 14 working days before polling day. But it's better to check it now. Even if you have been registered to vote for years and years and years, we all know that our names can magically fall off that. So go to checktheregister.ie today. Make sure you're registered to vote and vote on February 8th. Andrea. What's getting in the sea this week? The thing that is getting in the sea is a company who is quite popular uh, called Bullet uh, had a request and were asked if they could add a language of Irish onto their platform. And that's fine that it, like that's obviously not great that it's not there anyway but the response was so annoying. They were like oh sure nobody speaks Irish anyway so why would we do that? And there's literally been an an outrage over this. Now, there is a question, have they done that to get crap viral marketing? And if they have, then that viral marketing needs to get in the sea because you're actually just pissing off people. Um, and while you may be getting notoriety, you're not getting respect. But also the fact that uh, the Irish language is so easily disregarded is in bits. And as we're all wanting to learn Irish over the last year, I think the popularity of it is increasing. And to have... Uh, big business like that saying such stupid things is outrage so they can absolutely get in the sea. What is Bullet? What is it? Like a someone Oh, I'm looking at... Is this it is a online invoicing company? Is that what it is? Actually, just all tech companies or companies <laughs> pretending to be tech companies. How is fucking invoicing tech? Do you know what I mean? I just think this is just I, you see I'm I'm current, coming off the back of reading um, this book which I've spoken about on the podcast uh, before Uncanny Valley which I think everybody should read it's this me- memoir set in um, Silicon Valley of tech companies and it's you, the author goes through all of you know this kind of ridiculous startup bubble of all of the things that were given loads of money or not loads of money but still like you know a couple of million VCs were in the in the hovering around them giving them money they yeah and it's the, all this stuff the zany like, culture and yeah like um, one of them was a startup that basically the entire company was that it messaged yo 
to your friends that was it and it got like two million quid or something <laughs> you can just basically do, do anything you know Uber for cats or the or the rest you see the guy last week who uh, Mike Andrew Mike sorry. if you if you want to contribute you're going to do it properly sorry the guy last week who, who had this great idea he said what if you had like a garden just a really big garden and it had benches and like a fountain and stuff <laughs> in it that. and you could charge five dollars and you can come in the garden people go yeah well done you've invented the public park yeah yeah, yeah. well but yeah. as as public amenities are destroyed and uh, kind of cut back it, this is going to be and if we keep voting for Fine Gael, it's going to be left to the market and we're going to have to pay five euro to go into a public park Mm. Yeah, or just go whitewater rafting for the rest of our lives. Don't leave it to the market. <laughs> okay, yeah, that could, well, tech companies being stupid on Twitter can absolutely get in the sea. Well done. Now for our fave bits. My first fave bit uh, is going to be a month-long fave bit because... It's basically Miriam Lord writing about uh, the general election, which is one aspect of uh, traditional media election coverage that I can really get behind. Um, she's already on about Fine Gael's slogan, a future to look forward to uh, in the Irish Times. A rift in space-time continuum opens up as Fine Gael offers a future to look forward to. Uh, and she's quoting <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. As Kung Fu Panda once said, Today is history, tomorrow is a mystery. Um, that would have been a great uh, Fine Gael, uh, slogan. So, yes, yeah, my fave bits are just Miriam Lord writing about the election. Um, my other fave bits, I am finally reading Republic of Shame by Keelan Hogan. It is so grim and upsetting, but so well written and really, very, you know, the, like the entire culture of institutionalization and Magdalene Laundry's Mother and Baby Homes is overwhelming. But the way Caitlin writes about this is so accessible and smart and manages to find pathways through, uh, you know, the noise to really um, make a very, very special book. So everybody should read it. My other fave bits, uh, Cheer on Netflix. This is a show that is algorithmically designed for my consumption. (laughs) Really uh, decent American cheerleaders just trying to fulfill their dreams in what is um, actually the most dangerous sport in America when it comes to catastrophic injuries. Did you know that? Um, it's, a, it's a huge success already if I'm basing my social media on oh right. everyone you talking see, about You see, I'm not it. being on You're social media honest, at the moment yeah. so I have no idea. I'm like, have you heard about this uh, <laughs> newfangled television show? I came across it. Oh, uh, like the binge watching is real. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. So everybody knows about it already. I'm completely out of touch. Well, I like it as well. <laughs> well, it's your fave bit, in it. I would like to add my voice to the millions already behind Cheer. Um, another fave bit... I saw A Hidden Life, Taryn Malik's new uh, film, the uh, the other day at a, a preview screener thing. Oh, my God. It is really an astonishing piece of work. Um, and when you compare it to a lot of the film, like we were, to, we were talking about Oscars earlier, like I want to see 1917 the other night. Like it's there are some nice moments in it, some beautiful um, directorial choices, but like do we really need another fucking white guy in the army who's being brave and going off to find someone's brother? Like, we have seen all that before. Um, So, yeah, and just, you know, just a lot of the obviously Oscar-nominated films, you know, Joker getting the most uh, nominations, which is just a joke. 
in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) Total empty kind of film uh, that says nothing about anything. Um, And then when you look at a film like this, you know, which is about uh, world, you know, World War Two, it's about um, resistance. It's about Nazism, fascism, uh, the small uh, sacrifices that are actually massive that individuals make. Um, and then you just look at the shit that Hollywood is pumping out uh, compared to it. So go see A Hidden Life. It's brilliant. And my final fave bit um, comes from friend of the pod, pal of the pod. Uh, Anthony Remedy is putting on a film and fashion quiz, table quiz, uh, at Crow Street um, in a restaurant in Temple Bar. And it's an aid of Wildlife Victoria charity. It's an aid of... Um, all of the the devastation that has happened uh, in Australia with regards to the bushfires and wildlife half a billion animals approximately killed and the poor little koala bears I read this really just fucking terrible thing I wish it's one of those things you really wish you didn't read but I'm just going to share it anyway about firefighters being um, really distressed about the screaming from the koala bears dying it's just fucking horrific if you want to, like these things feel so overwhelming. If you want to contribute to that, uh, Anthony's putting on Film and Fashion Quiz uh, and Brunch Crow Street in Aid of Wildlife Victoria Charities Sunday, January 26th, uh, which is Australia Day at 2pm Crow Street and Temple Bar in Dublin. Um, and Karina Gaffey's one of the MCs there. And uh, so it's going to be a deadly quiz. Check that out. And Can I do a CC on that? And yeah. This is, uh, this is not a fave bit, but it's like Balenciaga brought out a t-shirt to sell in aid of the wildlife funds etc and it's like we don't need any more fast fashion or fashion to bring direct like donate directly to the people or to people who are making the effort to do things you don't have to make things to make it worthwhile to give money to people in need absolutely um those are my five bits andrea what are yours mine is uh i've kind of been under a rock as i've said for the last three weeks so they're kind of out of date maybe but one is Grogan's have a Twitter account what yeah and they're just being gas and one of the things they did and I chuckled a lot was when they uh, Leo was instructing people to go to Grogan's for a ham and cheese toasty and <laughs> Grogan's just retweeted it and were like please don't turn us into a hotel <laughs> <laughs> no way. Oh my god, I'm absolutely here for Grogan's on Twitter. Maybe yeah. I need to get back on Twitter to, to just follow them. Just follow them. Follow don't follow anyone else. Uh the second thing uh, is my fave bit is I saw it and it's a movie rather than a film, but it's long shot. And as all these entertainment things of real life murders and horrible things, as we know my taste in films is very lighthearted. I'm trying using entertainment as escapism and this is a just a really nice heartwarming movie um that has one of the best scenes in it where the secretary of i think her job is secretary of state and she's pull she wants to do ecstasy aka e aka yokes and she takes the the molly um, as they call it in America and she's mad out of it and she's pulled out of the set and she has to um, talk down um, a foreign leader about launching a missile and it's just oh the God. most ridiculous scene I've ever seen but it's just brilliant and it's uh, it's about she gets this speechwriter that she used to know and they fall in love and it's like can they ever work because she's like 
um, very into politics and he's a messer and it's just it's just lovely I would recommend everyone I'm into watch it, it. Sounds it's great. so lovely it's just lovely like and I think we need more lovely in the world and less real life murders I don't want to see body parts in a bin that also that happened this week that oh, they discovered so grim. but like if we have this shit happening in real life surely our entertainment can be lovely fair yeah. I feel like that's a sermon that I'm going to do. <laughs> um, and then the last thing <laughs> is in a bizarre thing that we did. Uh, we had our Trap Pop Christmas party on Sunday and we went axe throwing. And it is the gases thing that like... I, wait, hang on. <laughs> Can we go back a second now? Tell me, first of all, about the Tropical Popical Christmas party and what unfolded and why throwing axes was so, an element of it. Uh why did, because I don't know why it unfolded like that but we always try and do something that's a bit interesting as opposed to just going on the piss mm. and we k- discovered axe throwing and themed the night around glam Celtic warriors so the dress code was glam Celtic warriors um, and nobody knew where we were going and then we arrived at this axe throwing event and everyone was like what the and where, where do you go to throw axes it's uh if you Google Axe Throwing Dublin, they have an Instagram and a Twitter and it's uh, in Eastwall and they train you up how to throw an axe and then you, you do it and you have a competition and it's so much fun. And you can do it in Wicklow as well. They have like you can go down to Wicklow to like really get in touch with your Celtic warrior uh, self. I'm so into them. I'm just looking at their thing now. It's brilliant. Dublin it's- Urban Axe Throwing. Axe Club is open from Monday to Sunday. Wow. Yeah, I would highly recommend it as an activity. Um, and yeah, it's the crack. Were you any use at Axe Throwing? See, at the start, I kept getting the, uh, before the competition started, uh, I kept getting bullseyes. And then the minute the pressure was on, mm. I was throwing the axe, like hitting, going everywhere and not hitting the target. And then we did an Eye of the Tiger thing where you had to hit another point and I was shit at that. Um, but yeah, it was brilliant. Okay. I would. That's it. Yeah. I'm totally Axe. into it. I'm, in, I'm And intrigued. also, so obviously, then we're like, okay, if we're going to be glam Celtic warriors, what do we do? We have to go to an Irish thing afterwards. So we went to the Arlington for their Irish night, where they have like Irish dancing and like traditional songs and whatever. And they're all like, so where's everyone from? America? Yeah. Uh, you, Australia? Yeah. And, and we're like, there was all of us led screamy bitches being like, we're from Ireland. They're like, what the fuck are you here for? It's a tourist night. <laughs> we're like, yeah, but it's fab. Three course dinner and all. Fab. Oh, brill. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> and I hope that you're all looking forward to our uh, four weeks of general election um, coverage with a difference. This is not going to be the usual shit. Uh, this is going to be a different vibe, hopefully a more positive one and one that actually looks at the bigger issues and the bigger ideas in our society as opposed to nitpicking over bullshit, fabricated uh, clickbaity clickbaity fights she wore a red t-shirt like it's getting that's the stage it's getting to it's so bits. you did skip something uh, Una and I know you're very upset about it so we'll, we may just touch on it briefly oh god sorry I, I really didn't mean to do this obviously it's <laughs> the trauma has um, erased it from um, momentarily from my memory look uh in JLo news uh, this week, obviously we have this segment every week on the podcast. It has been a very dark week in United Ireland Towers as the snub of the century snapped into focus on Monday. When Jennifer Lopez was absent from the Oscar nominations for her tour de force performance in Hustlers. Um, this is obviously outrageous. Uh, we, I was angry. 
I'm not. I was. I was fuming. Um, I was also. We didn't touch. I was also fuming. Manga. Matman didn't get a choice music. No. I was also fuming about that. I think it's a massive oversight. And I know it's been capitalism. I think it, I know it's been an, just a little <laughs> sidestep JLo for a moment. It had last year was an extraordinary year for um, Irish music, but I was surprised that um, the Mango Mathman record wasn't on there because it's, it's such a great record. Uh, anyway, um, look, we could talk for hours about why Jennifer Lopez was excluded from. Um, the, the Academy Awards about the importance of her performance about how n- like none of the actors for example not that it's fucking uh, you know that, uh, not that this is the framework of it but when you compare her performance and what she did um, in that film uh, you know compared to just Brad Pitt wandering around Tarantino's bag of trash uh, movie <laughs> which I really disliked um, but uh, we could talk about this for hours and um, we could do multiple episodes on her exclusion from the category. But what I am going to do is just uh, read this piece from Vanity Fair that Mark Harris uh, wrote. Um, and he made some interesting points about JLo's exclusion. Uh, I suspect something else was going on with Lopez and Hustlers, uh, Harris writes in Vanity Fair, which is that she did everything wrong. She dared to play a character who used her sexuality as a professional survival tool and didn't regret it. She committed the unforgivable sin of being sympathetic and then not. She took her public image and spectacularly amplified and reworked it to suit a complicated character. This is not what Academy voters want from JLo. What they want is for her to scrub off her makeup and play a poor mother dying of something who tries to find someone to take care of her kids. They want a role that says, look how serious I am. Look how willing I am to punish myself for you. That kind of self-abasement has always been something Academy voters love to see from actresses. Even if we set aside the grim social implications of that kind of thinking, what remains is a disappointing limitation of vision. The Academy has never been good at looking at a performance like the one Lopez gives in Hustlers and understanding that it is as serious, committed and carefully crafted as the kind of stuff it usually likes. Actors of all people should know better. So, J-Lo, you're always going to be a gold statue winner in our eyes. (laughs) This podcast... Is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. Uh, you can find links to all our socials on our website. Give us a message, the use. Give us a little bit of a Patreon. Oh yeah, we for once again we forgot to do our Patreon plug. <laughs> um, we need your money, please. Tell your friends it's a new year. Uh, everybody's broke in January, we know, but sign up to Patreon uh, to help us along. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Uh, now tuna chicken roll first of the year it's an old one but it was wrecking my head because I was listening to it and I was like I know this rift is from somewhere um, and it has been recreated by DJ Coz and it, who has a song called Pick Up but this song is the Ridge it's called Pick Me Up I'll Dance by Melba Murr I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan this has been United Ireland and, and that, that was Election Special Part one. one. What's the, the big, big idea? idea? <laughs> Just pick me up on dance. Dance to the music dance. Just pick me up on dance. Prancing, they're hollering for more.